Good evening. I good evening. This is uh, Paul. We're doing our Wednesday evening Bible studies for um, oh, before Wednesday evening, and we're just gonna get started in a few moments. I'm doing it via Facebook Live again due to this fun, interesting COVID nineteen pandemic that we're all going through. Maybe fun is not really the word to have used. Hey, Kelly. Um, so we're going to be looking and continuing our study on heaven, hell, and the afterlife. This is a fourth part in I don't know how many parts that we're going to um, end up having this. I say that because every time I go to my notes, I seem to add more and more to my notes with different questions that have been coming up from you guys as well. So I want to thank everybody for joining us here this evening. Um, this will also be posted on to YouTube later on this evening, and it will be posted up as a podcast that you can find on um, Google Podcasts or Pocket Cast um, um, or Stitcher and Spotify. And um, we haven't made it to Apple Podcasts yet. They, they seem to have pretty stringent regulations. You can't just throw it up there and make it happen. But we're, we're going to be continuing in our look at what um, having hell and the afterlife is like. We've really been looking a lot at the word hell um, and the way that it is viewed in the scriptures, specifically in the Old and the New Testament of the last couple of weeks. We looked in the Old Testament where its use was Sheol, which was um, usually translated in, um, in most of our modern translations as the grave. And it was the resting place for the souls of the people who passed on. And then we found out as we looked into the book of Enoch um, that he had four layers of Sheol, four layers of the grave. And um, inside of those four layers, you had the first layer or first level is a better way to put it than a layer. Um, the first level was for the righteous, those who were righteous. And they were also, it's also used the idea of Abraham's bosom later on, later on in the New Testament. But it was talking about this place where those who are righteous go and they just rest and they then are ready for the resurrection. And then you have the good people who are in the second tier of Sheol who are just resting there as well. And they're waiting for the resurrection. And then you have the third layer, which are those who are wicked, who do undergo some form of um, punishment during the time. But they are also resurrected at the um, resurrection when the Messiah comes the second, when the Messiah returns. And then you have the third, fourth and final layer, which is the layer for those who are evil, who are tormented, tormented um, until the resurrection and the resurrection they cease to be. And one of the questions that was asked a couple of times is why am I referencing the book of Enoch? And I have also referenced um, the book of Maccabees a couple of times. And these are books that are not found in our canon of scripture. If you would take an evangelical Bible and look through the table of contents, you wouldn't find Maccabees or Enoch or any of those. Um, you would find them actually in the Catholic um, canon of scriptures. Um, and we can have a study again in a couple of weeks about where and how these books ended up. But they really give us an insight into what the people were thinking during the time of Jesus. They give us an insight into what their thought processes were and what their understanding of their world and culture was, which is another reason why um, looking at uh, writings outside of the scriptures really can help us give in, can help us um, with insights into what is going on um, during the time. If you look at Josephus and read for some of the cultural context or any history of that time, really opens our eyes to what's going on 
um, during the time of Christ or during the time of the Old Testament scriptures or even the times when um, the Apostle Paul and the rest of the apostles were writing. And then we went into the New Testament and we're looking at some of the references that Jesus uses that in our New Testament scriptures we have found are translated um, as hell. And we looked at that as Gehenna. That was used um, about 11 times by Jesus. Gehenna being a transliteration. And we talked about transliteration. If you want to go back to the first couple of studies, you can, um, you can take a look at what we mean by transliteration. But Gehenna is a transliteration of the valleys of the son of Hinnom. And as we look back into the Old Testament, we find out that the valleys of the son of Hinnom is where um, people used to go to sacrifice their children to the god Molech. Um, and we find that that was a literal place, um, a place in a valley that people were very familiar with at that time. So as Jesus references the valleys of the son of Hinnom, uh, and to his original listeners, they know exactly where that place is, but they also know the history that is tied with that. If you think more a little bit about, if you think about going to um, a, uh, the Pearl Harbor a memorial at Pearl Harbor, and that's a place where if you mention it, you know what happened there, you know the devastation that happened there, you know the lives that were taken and the awful um, wars that were that war that happened there. And um, if you mention that to somebody, they, they automatically know in, in American history what happened. Um, talk about Ground Zero. And people in our culture and context would automatically know what happened there and um, what is continuing to happen there. So when they heard the valleys of the son of Hinnom, they knew culturally and in their history what happened at that location. And at that location, we have the dehumanization of other people. We have people taking their children and saying, I'm sacrificing my children to a God um, and taking their li the, the lives of their own kids. So when Jesus makes statements, it is better that you um, pluck your eyes out or to cut your hand off and throw, it in, uh, and throw it away than your whole body be at the valley of the son of Hinnom. He's making reference to the fact that, is, that, we, that we as humanity, we dehumanize people. We put them through Gehenna. We put them through hell, and that is not what we are made to do. When we look at the um, narrative in Genesis, we find that humanity is created to walk and talk with God. They're made to commune with each other. We are made to commune in harmony with the divine, and we are created and made to tend to the earth and tend to creation. And when we don't do those things, that is when we enter Gehenna. In the here and now, a lot of the times we've been in the last couple, in the last three weeks, we've been mentioning um, heaven and hell in the present tense. What happens in the present world? As um, I think it was MacArthur said, war is hell. And he's making a bold statement. Yes, it is. The dehumanization dehumanization of others, which war is, is hell. So we're looking at a couple of interesting passages today. I know some of you on the edge of your seat hoping for us to get into the book of Revelation. We're not quite there yet. Give us some time. We will get to the lake of fire and we'll get to all of that. We're still in the Gospels for a little bit today. Um, and we're in the Gospel of Luke chapter 23. And we're only going to read a couple of verses, but it's very familiar, seeing that we just finished with um, the Easter story, and we're in the and we're still in the I think it's the fifth week of Easter coming up. Um, we'll be celebrating Mother's Day this um, Sunday, which is going to seem strange, seeing that um, we're not going to be able to be with each other to celebrate that. Uh, but I want to read from Luke chapter twenty-three. This is verses thirty-nine through forty-three. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version scriptures, and it says this. One of the criminals who were hanged railed, railed at him, saying, 
Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But another rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. So this is a very familiar one as we finish with the Easter story, as we've gone over the Easter story recently. Um, but Jesus is hanging on the cross and he has he's been crucified. And there are two other criminals that are quite um, close to him within earshot. And they um, they are guilty of what whatever um, guilty of the punishment they are receiving. And one of them is screaming out to Jesus, come on, if you're the Messiah, we've heard that you raised people from the dead. How about you pull us down from these things and let's get out of here. And the other one says, don't you understand who you're talking to? And he looks at Jesus and the phrase that he says to Jesus is a very interesting one because he doesn't say, take this away. He doesn't say, get me off of this cross and relieve me from all of my pain. He makes a very interesting reference. And as we make this reference, I want you to remember back to the idea of Sheol to begin with. So this is the reference. Uh, this is the statement that the man makes. He says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now, off, off, um, for face value, it doesn't really look like a big, important statement to be making. But what we find here is if we remember um, Sheol, we remember this idea of the grave that has been ingrained into the Jewish culture for a very long time, not only their culture, but into their writings. If we remember the book of Enoch, um, we find that the, the first three layers of Sheol at the coming of the Messiah, when the kingdom of, of the Messiah comes and in, in their culture and their, in their religious views, when the Messiah comes and conquers the world and the kingdom of Yahweh is established, that the first three levels of Sheol are resurrected from the dead and are, are going to be in that kingdom. So this is what the criminal is saying. Hey, Jesus, just, just remember me at the coming of your kingdom. Remember me at that, that resurrection time. And an integral part to our Christian faith, I believe, is overlooked. And we're going to look at a bit um, in this coming day, um, in this Bible study, is this idea of resurrection. Resurrection is the hope. For the Christian faith, heaven, as in clouds and unicorns and um, uh, harps, is not the hope for the Christian faith. Resurrection is the hope for the Christian faith. So we find that here says, Jesus, remember me. He didn't say, I want to be in your kingdom. He says, just remember me. So Jesus says this, and he plays on this man's understanding of the afterlife and Sheol. And we also on plays on this idea of what happens. Um, the, uh, the Apostle Paul, I believe, writes this. He says that to be absent from the body is to be present with God. Um, this idea that one, when life, as the physical life, ceases to be, that we are somehow transported into the presence of God. Um, and we, we don't, it's not this idea of um, heaven as we, as we might think. It's kind of this mystery that happens as we cease to physically be and we take our final breath. We take our final breath here and then we are in the presence of God. And Jesus says this, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Paradise this is an interesting um, word he uses. He doesn't use, heaven. He doesn't use heaven. He doesn't use God's space. He says, today you will be with me in paradise. You see, uh, we see a difference of ideas here. The criminal just asked to be remembered. 
Jesus says, no, I'm going to do, do, do you one better. I'm not just going to remember you. You will be present in paradise. He, remember the statement he says is, truly I say today, say to you today, you will be with who? With me. You will be in the presence of God today in paradise. So we, we are dis we've discussed this idea of getting a glimpse of heaven and hell and the current situations that we live in today and how as Christians it's our, our job to, to show the kingdom of God, show God's space in the present. And as we look towards the afterlife, we get this little glimpse with this criminal. Now, the glimpse that we get with this criminal is that Jesus promises to be present with him in paradise. And that harkens back to the idea of Lazarus and the rich man, where La the rich, uh, sorry, where Lazarus is in um, Abraham's bosom, and he's in, he's fine. He is in the presence of the fa of the um, of father Abraham, of all the other fathers that came, the father of Isaac, Jacob, Esau, of Jacob, and all the the fathers of Israel are there, and Lazarus is there. Jesus is saying, when you when you wake up after you die, criminal, you will be with me being Christ in paradise. You're thinking of resurrection, but you are still going to be in my presence after you take your last breath. And that's a mystery that 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 is not fully like expounded upon in the scriptures. It is kind of when we pass away, we are now in the presence of God. And I don't know if that like time ceases to be, but then we also find that when the resurrection, we are resurrected with the rest of the saints, much in the same way that as a res at the resurrection of Christ, at the death of Christ, that people came out of the graves and were resurrected. Um, but afterlife, what, what about this criminal? I mean, he recognizes the innocence of Jesus. He recognizes he's in the presence of the divine. But this idea of paradise I find extremely interesting. As I said, we, rich man and Lazarus, we kind of get a glimpse of that. Um, and Jesus plays on their understanding of Sheol and the, in, and the bringing in of the, the idea of Hades that we talked about a couple of weeks ago. Um, we are reminded that once again, to, um, that the other side of life, that, that there's the presence of God. God is present on the other side of life. And I, we don't know, and it is not expounded upon on the scriptures. And so we look into the idea that we are in the presence of God and that we are waiting for what? We are waiting for resurrection. We are waiting for heaven and earth to become one. We are waiting for the new heavens and the new earth and everything to be restored. And at the resurrection of, with Jesus Christ at the second coming of Christ, when we are resurrected, that is what we are looking forward to. Our hope is not in heaven. Our hope is in resurrection. Because in resurrection, as we look into the book of Revelation, we find that at resurrection, creation and the created order revolve around God, revolve around Yahweh, and our lives revolve around God. Our lives revolve around Yahweh, and there's no pain, and there's no suffering, and there is no, there, there's no war, there's no famine, and it is the way that is meant to be. At last and once again, humanity is returned. To, the, to its created order of walking with God and being in community with each other. So that always brings up the question, well, am I going to be able to recognize people in heaven if there's no pain and there's no suffering? Um, what, am I going to be able to see my loved ones? And, and my um, my statement to that is I, 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 God is love. They, I, I, that, that is, I, my faith is, is in the grace and mercy of Christ more than it is on my understanding of great theology. But this idea that 
in the new when everything is restored at the, when everything is recreated when everything is brought back to the way it should be that at resurrection is our hope so when jesus dies we know that he doesn't go back to the father for when he is resurrected he tells mary something he says do not hold on to me because i have not yet returned to the father jesus has not gone to heaven he's not gone to god's space but he went to paradise heaven what we long for what we talk about makes us so happy is really the resurrection and the really the restora restoration of all things and i think that we need to change our our language and our our um conversations um a little bit more um to be able to have this understanding that um that that uh, resurrection is our goal that is what afterlife is all about so anita is asking that jesus to send to the depths after he went to paradise so that we we have our apostles creed was and he descended to the dead yeah he did he descended to the dead he went to the place of death he went to the place of paradise and he um you talk to some of uh you read some of the um, early church fathers writings and they say that he descended into the dead he spent three days in death whether that was in paradise and then he descended further into death um into the levels of sheol there's debate between those but we know that Jesus didn't go to God's space. He went to death and he spent time there. Um, so we long for a day. Obviously, we long for a day with no more tears and no more pain and no more sorrow where evil is no longer has hold on humanity. And we will once again be in harmony with the divine. And, and that is what resurrection is all about. Our, our study should be heaven, hell and the resurrection because afterlife is all about resurrection. It's all about the resurrection of, of those who Yahweh has called and adopted into his family. And um, we will reign with Christ. And some of the, the language that is used in the New Testament is very interesting. Talking about being co-heirs with Christ. He says, if uh, Paul writes, if you have died with Christ, um, then you are now, if you have also been risen with him, that we are alive in his resurrection. So John um, has this vision and he writes down in Revelation, struggles to describe the beauty of the new heaven and the new earth. But at the center of everything is God and a great contrast to today's world. So I want to read a little sample of the book of Revelation just to kind of give you a tease of where we'll be going in the next couple of weeks. So here's your little tease for this. Uh, this one, the book of Revelation. So um, then the son of when the son of man comes in glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne before he before he sorry, before he will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats and he will place the sheep at his right and the goats to his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you uh, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to the to one of these, the least of my brothers, you did it from um, to me. Sorry, this isn't from the book of Revelation. These are the words of Christ. Then he will say 
to those on his left. Depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. We'll talk about that in, um, in the next couple of weeks. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they will answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick and, or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, truly I say to you, as you did not do to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And all the, sorry, and these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous shall live for eternal life. So we have this, this, this um, story, this outline that Jesus gives of the separation of sheep and goats at the same time. Um, and he's, he's making reference to who is in the who's the sheep and who's the goats, and it's all interestingly based on how they interacted with the created order, how they interacted with one another, that exposes who they are following. So um, he will gather everyone before him at that second coming, and he will separate the sheep from the goats, and he'll place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left, and this has no political. Um, double meaning in any way, shape, or form, and he will call the sheep and say to them, come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. You see, we, have a, we, we are in a culture dominated by justice and punishment. We think that um, punishment must, or the punishment must fit the crime. We're not, uh, we don't tend to be a very forgiving and gracious um society at times and 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 for obvious reasons crime needs to go punished uh, we are a culture also that's obsessed with who is in and who is not necessarily in and we are a culture that's obsessed of what we look like in our and um what people think of us see as christians i want to pose this as we try and wrap this up in the next couple of minutes um as christians i think that we sometimes have been asking the wrong questions so if we look back to the, the story in Luke that we read, in our minds of justice and fairness, did the criminal deserve to be in paradise that day? According to his culture, according to the laws of those lands, he was being crucified for something that was punishable by death. Yet Jesus says, Today you will be with me in paradise. We have forgiveness before resurrection. We have the ability for somebody who is seen as a sinner entering into the presence of God, entering into paradise with Jesus, entering into Sheol with God, being forgiven. And we find that that might be contrary to the way that we, we kind of look at them. We're kind of like, oh, but maybe that criminal wasn't as bad as the other criminal. No, he was he was guilty of something that deserved death. And he chose to ask Jesus only to be remembered. And Jesus says, I'll do you one better. You will be with me. So as Christians, I think we tend to ask the wrong questions. Questions are important because questions expose our greatest fears as well. 
Um, are you going to heaven is a question that we, like you, somebody comes to church, you go to some of those churches and they run up, oh, are you saved? Are you going to heaven? We got to make sure you're going to heaven. And and it's exposing the fear that's inside of them already that I don't know if I'm going or I, 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 there's the fears that are inside of them. Do you believe that Jesus was God? I think it's a great question to ask, but sometimes I feel like it's a misplaced question. It's a question that we're trying to expose somebody maybe or put them in a category um, where we can easily say, well, you're in and you're out. Because if you answer the question, do you believe Jesus was God? And you answer a certain way, then you in. If you answer a different way, then you're out. Do you believe that Jesus rose from the dead? Again, another in and out question. This idea of I want to categorize people by what they believe. Do you know that Jesus loves you? And if the answer is yes, then oh, hallelujah, praise Jesus. And if the answer is no, then oh, I need to introduce you to Jesus. And we have this interesting, we ask these questions about our understanding and our belief system trying to judge or not judge, trying to categorize people about are they going to heaven or hell in our mindsets? Are they going, Are they living in heaven and hell? If we've kind of separated the idea of heaven and hell being only afterlife. Um, Oh, question that people always send out. Do you go to church? You'd be surprised how many people I run into in the, like Lepping or the store and say, oh, pastor, how are you doing? I'll, I'll be back in church someday. And I'm thinking, uh, how are you living life? Church is great, but how are you living life now? Um, I think the real questions, and I think the real questions are exposed by Jesus as and what we just read. The real questions that we should be asking people because we find that if they if they do these things, then Jesus says that you're in the sheep fold, not the goats. You're in the sheep. So it's not asking the questions that we said before, like, um, are you going to heaven? Do you believe Jesus is God? Do you believe Jesus rose from the bad dad? Do you love Jesus? Do you go to church? And all these things. The real questions that we should be not only asking others, but I think that we should be look more looking internally and asking ourselves are these. Do you help feed the hungry? Do you help quench the thirst? of the thirsty are you hospitable to the alien i said that one for emmett because but because when i, when I before i became american citizen i told him i was an alien and he he didn't like that one too much how do you clothe those who are naked how often do you visit the sick how often do you visit those in prison these should be the questions that we ask ourselves more importantly because if i if i look at some of these um, as Christians, we tend to ask the wrong questions I posed earlier. Some of these are kind of like floppable. They're kind of like, uh, you know what? These are things I, I wrestle with. Sometimes I don't know if I'm going to heaven because I don't know what's going on. Do I believe Jesus God? Eh, sometimes I wrestle and have doubts, and doubts are, are hard, hard, for us, hard enough thing for us to admit. Do you go to church? Eh, on and off. Um, do, you know that, um, do you know that Jesus loves you? Eh, yeah, you know, that's a feeling, that's an emotion. But these real questions that we should be asking, we're going to expound upon a little bit because it has a lot to do with heaven, hell, and the afterlife because what we've been expressing over and over again is the afterlife part that we discussed at the beginning that, uh, of today is great. But if we, if we are not involved in heaven now, Jesus said that we're part of the goats. And he uses that phrase, eternal punishment. We'll talk about that next week. Don't get too worried um, or get worried if you want. Eternal punishment and lake of fire that's resolved for the devil and for and for the angels and the demons, he, um, Christ says. 
Um, so James Mills has an interesting, uh, Miles has a statement. He says, you can easily judge the character of a man by how he treats those who can do nothing for him. You can easily tell how, you can easily tell, I, 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 you can rephrase it almost. You can easily tell if somebody is walking the ways of God by how they treat people who do nothing for him. Hunger is a physical thing. Are we meeting the physical needs of the people in our community? Meeting the physical needs of the people in our families? Thirst, a physical need for hydration, simple water. Do we provide water for people? Do we provide the things that are necessary for life for other people? Hosp hospitality, those who are wondering or lost. I mean, the stranger danger thing can go through your mind, but as a church community and as people who are about the kingdom ethics and morals that Jesus was about, do we tend to be hospitable to those who are Difference or those who are wondering are lost. Now, do we clothe those who are naked? And this can make reference back to Genesis. Those who are ashamed. Those people in our communities who are ashamed of themselves. Do we protect them? Do we clothe them physically? But do we also protect those who are not being protected? I find it interesting that he says visiting the sick. He doesn't say going and healing the sick. Jesus healed the sick. But in this, he says, um, when you went to visit the sick, that's when you were visiting me. Imprisonment, those being held against their will. How do we say, well, they paid their, they're paying their dues to the system, so they deserve to be there? Or do we take an understanding empathy with them and have an understanding that, you know, people are in prison for multiple reasons, and we're not here to judge the reasons that they're there because there are social economic reasons that people end up um, having to break the law and all these things. Do we pass judgment or do we empathize with saying that person was in such a situation that they needed to do this act and that ended them up in prison, so now we need to express the love of God to them by visiting them? There's whole ministries of um, in Ionia County Jail of um, men and women who are going to the prisons to visit those people in prison and this express love to them. It's, it's, it's taking the words of Christ and enacting it in such a beautiful way. I want to read a couple of scriptures in closing today. And then next week we're going to be looking and, and I'll tell you, I'll read it again quickly. We will be looking at, um, where is it? Um, Jesus makes that reference to um, the, uh, the the eternal the eternal punishment, and um, uh, and these will go into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. We talk about that word eternal. Um, but I want to read these. These are from a couple of scriptures. I want you to, if you got a pen and paper, um, write these down. These are things I, I I think would be very good to read throughout this week. Just meditate on them. Spend some time um, wrestling with them in your mind. First one comes from Isaiah chapter fifty eight. Verse 10, and it says this. If you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom as noonday. Proverbs 14, verse 31. Whoever oppresses a man, a poor man insults his maker, but he who is generous to the needy honors him. This proverb is saying if we... If we oppress those who are poor, we're insulting God. This is going back. Yes, Anita, I will I will text them to you. I will post these verses and scriptures up on Facebook right as soon as we're done. Thank you. That's a good idea. Um, that, that The whole going back to Gehenna, the dehumanization of people is the presence of hell. Whoever oppresses a man insults God. 
but whoever is generous to the needy honors God. Proverbs 31, 20. She opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. This is um, the Proverbs 31 is talking about a righteous woman. A right, um, so she's helping the poor. She reaches out to those who are in need. Luke 3, chapter, um, chapter 3, verses 11. And he answered them, whoever has two tunics, um, is to share it with him who has none. And whoever has food is to do likewise. Um, this is in the context of what uh, the actions of the fruit of repentance, that when we are sorry and our lives turn around, our lives radically change, that instead of hoarding things for ourselves, we see those who are in need and we, and we give those to those who are in need. Um, Galatians chapter 2, 6, verse 2 says this, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Leviticus, everybody's favorite one, Leviticus chapter 19. And you shall not strip your vineyard bare, neither shall you gather the fallen grapes for your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. You shall not steal and you shall not deal falsely. You shall not lie to one another. If you look at the book of Ruth, the book of Ruth is, is all about the gleaning, that as they are walking through, um, and they are harvesting everything that drops on the ground. They are to leave because the poor and the foreigner and the widow follow behind them. And that's how they take care of their community. Inside of the law was, was built this beautiful um, social safety net that um, took care of the people in their community. Acts chapter 20, verse 35, for those of you who are saying, let's look at the New Testament after Christ. What should the church be doing? Because we should be doing all these other things. It says this. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, you must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. So are we going to base, are we going to be judged based on what we do or on what we do or what we think or based on our actions? If we look at Jesus separating the sheep and the goats, it's not based on their theological standing, it's based on what they were doing. It was based on what they were doing that he separates them out. And it gets awkward when we talk about separating people out. The, the beauty of the story that Jesus says is not us that separates people out. It's God, the, it's just the, it's God Jesus saying, okay, right and left. Let's see what's going to happen here. Um, does this go against saved by grace and not by works? Do we struggle with this? Lest any man should boast. This, this conflict that we have that is arising, and we're four minutes over, so I'm going to wrap this up quickly. But... As we're looking at afterlife, let's remember this. The afterlife is in the presence of God waiting for the resurrection of Jesus, waiting for the resurrection of all things, making everything new again. The second coming of Christ, where every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And as the heaven and the picture that John um, pick, um, paints is the picture of, of, of the new Jerusalem coming down and making its home here on earth and making all things new and everything revolving around God. It says that there's no need for a sun because God is a source of all light. And he paints this beautiful picture of the harmony of humanity, creation, and the divine once again residing together, like in the book of Genesis. So our hope is not in heaven as in clouds and heaven as in um, hearts. Our hope and Christians' hope is the surprising hope of the resurrection of all things. So when we, are, when we die, when we take our final breath, 
we enter into this mystery that is called being in the presence of God. What that looks like, we don't know. That's kind of an unknown. But to be in the presence of God, waiting for the resurrection of all things, waiting for our resurrection, is a beautiful thing. And that in the new heaven and the new earth, that God being in the center of all things, there is no pain, there is no suffering, there is no tears. All things are made new. And I am fully of his understanding that in the end, God wins. God provides this beautiful creation for us to reside in. So when somebody asks me, well, I see my loved one in heaven. My mind says what they mean by that is the resurrection. So I'm going to say yes. Well, I see my loved one in the resurrection. Yes, because God makes all things new. And that inside of that resurrection, there is no fear. There's no pain. There's no suffering. There's no sorrow. And that he, he ultimately brings everything back into the way that it is created to be. We will talk next week about some of the more scary pictures of eternal judgment. Eternal, that's a, that's a word that means a lot of things to a lot of people. Um, again, another constraint of the English language. One of the ones I like to talk about, the constraint of the English language is the way that we can love our kids, love our wives, and love ice cream all at the same time. And each of us know that when you say you love ice cream, it means something completely different than when you say you love your kids. And when you say you love your kids, it means something completely different than when you say you love your spouse. So we have an understanding and an ability in our minds to understand the context of words. English is a weird, interesting language. Greek is even more interesting that we're going to touch on a little bit next week. And I have, yes, Anita, I will post the, the verses that I read today. I will post them um, right after I sign off here. And um, how is everybody doing? It's nice to see everybody today. And... Um, I like how my wife commented, there you are, Paul, like she had lost me or something 35 minutes ago. Um, but we're, we have the Holford House are doing okay. We are trying to go for our daily walks. But um, it's supposed to get cold this weekend. Um, one of the things that we're looking forward to as a church is we're going to continue doing our Thursday evening meals. They have been a, a great blessing and outreach to our, to our community. And for me, when I look at, at the things that Jesus separates people out by that this whole idea of we, are we feeding the hungry? Yes, that's what we as a community, sorry, and as a church are doing. Are we are we we not giving them drinks? But ho hopefully, we, we if somebody's thirsty, we can do that. Um, hospitality to a stranger. Yeah, anybody who wants meals can come and get meals. Um, I think it's a very small thing that we're able to do for our community, but in that small way, we're able to express um, God's love to to all people, no matter who they are. So we'll sign off for this evening. Thank you for all of you who have joined us. We've had everything from 8 to 30-something people watch today. Um, but we'll post this up on YouTube. Uh, and we'll put it on the podcast. And, yep, Anita, I will put the, um, the scriptures I just read up on Facebook right now. So have a good evening. Have many blessings. And, again, if you folks need anything in the area, please feel free to reach out to me. We've had a couple of people reach out asking for some face masks. Please do that. If you need a face mask, give me a call. I have a couple ways I can get some in the Belden community and I can get them to you the same day. So blessings and peace and may you experience the presence of God in your homes today.